0: Well, please take your Bibles and find the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians. One of the ways that you and I learn as human beings is by example. I uh, am a committed reader of instructions and manuals, say that proudly. I'll tell you a story sometime about Aaron, who's not, and we had a fun time together. (laughs) Even with my commitment to instructions and manuals, I find that seeing an example of those instructions put into practice helps me. Whatever I'm working on to accomplish. If you've purchased furniture from Ikea and you've worked through their manual, you know that if you see a little video of it put together, that that's more helpful than deciphering their illustrated guide. You know that YouTube has made countless tasks more accessible via teaching by example. Even the most careful instruction readers are helped by seeing something done, by seeing the steps put before them and put into practice. It's important to caveat this, it's not that we can't learn information given to us propositionally or that we can't understand it. If we say that we're unable, then we're in trouble because God has given us instructions and commands that he requires us to obey. So if we were to go so far as to say, well, we can't, we, I just can't. I'm unable to learn from commands and instructions. We're questioning God's wisdom in revealing his will for our lives and the inspired word of God. He's given us those things. But the truths that are proclaimed in the word, that is the ways that God expects us to walk in, are further pressed into our hearts when we see them in action. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.6, that that's one of the purposes for reading the historical narrative portions of the Old Testament, to learn from their example this morning, we're going to learn about the characteristics of equipped ministry, Lord willing, by example. Pastor Rick has been leading us through a study of the book of Ephesians, and we've come to a portion of that letter where Paul sets forth foundational and essential teaching for our understanding of the church and her ministry. We've been learning, the, really, the building blocks of our ecclesiology, our doctrine, our understanding of the church. Pastor Rick has titled our study of Ephesians 4, through 13, Christ's design for a healthy church. And we learned last week that one result of Christ's distribution of spiritual gifts is equipped ministers, equipped ministers. That is the components of a healthy church include equipped ministers. And we learned that ministers does not refer to pastors or offices within the church, but the whole body. We're all called to be ministers. We're to be a church full of ministers and servants equipped by the pastor teachers that Christ has given for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. As we continue in Ephesians 4 next week, Pastor Rick's going to unpack the outcomes of such a ministry, but today I want to keep our focus on this notion of equipped ministry and equipped ministers and think a little deeper about that with the help of examples from Paul's letter to the Philippians. His letter to the church in Philippi. This idea or concept of example and learning by example is critical to Paul's teaching in Philippians. In chapter 1, verse 14, the example of his imprisonment, he says, had given courage to others to be bold in their ministry of speaking the word of God. In chapter 2, verse 7 and 18, 17 and 18, Paul is an example to the church of rejoicing during trial. The Philippian believers are there told that they're to rejoice in the same way as Paul, to follow his example. In chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says this Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So he says, I am Apostle Paul, am an example, but also everyone else you see around you that's walking in accordance with the teaching that you've heard from me, they're your examples too follow those examples, emulate them. As he closes the letter, he tells them that they are to practice not only what they had learned from him, not only what they had received, not only what they had heard. He says also what they had seen demonstrated in his life in Philippians chapter 4 verse 9. Most noteworthy and central to the teaching of this letter is the Christological section. In chapter two, verses five through 11, this section, famous really, for its profound teaching about Christ's self-giving incarnation, death, his future resulting glorification. this portion of Paul's letter is actually an illustration of the attitudes and commands that he gives in chapter two verses one through four. He holds forth Jesus as the preeminent example of humility. The preeminent example of regarding others as more important than themselves, and he calls believers to imitate Jesus. So Paul regularly commends imitation and points to examples. And he also does that in this letter with the ministries of two men. that are important examples for the Philippian church and are important examples for Mission Road Bible Church as we think about what it means to be equipped ministers. What does faithful ministry look like In the body of Christ. If you haven't already, please find verse 19 of Philippians chapter 2. Verse 19. Remember that Paul writes this letter while in prison, likely in Rome. About 10 years earlier, he and some ministry partners first proclaimed the gospel in Macedonia. Remember Lydia, she's converted, and then her household and then the Philippian jailer. The church would go on, it would be established there in Philippi as a community of Christians grew and they even began to immediately show eager support and partnership with Paul in gospel ministry, sending support to him while he was in Thessalonica, while he was in Corinth. Now some 10 years later, Paul is writing them and he's updating them about his circumstances. We know from Philippians that he's awaiting the outcome of his case he's in prison in Rome and he's waiting news is he going to be released is he going to die it could mean death for him he says which would be good it would mean that he's with Jesus but he seems to think that the Lord has further purposes for him to remain on and one of those purposes is to minister to the Philippians he even expects to be able to visit them again But while he's waiting on those affairs to be worked out, there are other more immediate matters that he needs to update the Philippians about, namely plans for a visit from Timothy and even more immediate than that, plans for a visit from Epaphroditus, a Philippian Christian. So follow along as I read Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. Paul writes, "'But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly.'" so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me, And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed, because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. This passage weaves together our historical circumstances and plans with spiritual implications, Several trips, as you just heard, are mentioned. And so it's worth summarizing those trips so they're straight in our head before we dive into an outline. So Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, they're all in Rome. The journey from Rome to Philippi in the first century was anywhere from 700 to 1,200 miles, depending on the route. It could take, if there was good sailing weather, maybe 40 days on the short end. It could take three months on the long end. The journey was a significant undertaking, to say the least. Paul plans to send Timothy to the Philippians to encourage them. He also then hopes Timothy will come back and encourage him. Sometime after Timothy would make contact with Paul and give an update on the Philippian church, Paul hopes to be released and to visit the Philippians in person himself. All right, so we've got it straight with Paul and Timothy, we think. But before any of those trips is another trip. That's the trip of Epaphroditus, Paul will be sending a Philippian name to Epaphroditus back home. And so the order of the trips historically is inverse from the, the way that the names are given in our passage. First, he's going to send Epaphroditus, likely with the very letter that he's writing. Then after further clarity on some matters that he needed to hear about, either his, his court case or maybe just some ministry things he was tending to, Timothy would then go as well. And then Paul hoped to get him back. And then, after hearing from Timothy about how the Philippian church is doing, Paul then himself would make the journey. In verses 19 through 24, Paul discloses his plans for Timothy. He mentions himself in there as well, but really it's his plans for Timothy, the purpose of these plans, and then he commends Timothy as a model minister. Then in verses 25 through 30, Paul discloses his plans for Epaphroditus. He says the reason why those plans. Are going to happen. And then he commends Epaphroditus as a model minister. And so while the travel plans are interesting, we don't want to miss really the exemplary nature of the ministry that Paul describes in these verses. The historical circumstances are a backdrop, and the scene is one that highlights ministry, faithful ministry, ministry that flows from unity of mind and the cause of the gospel, Christ-like selflessness and service for the sake of the saints. So, by hearing Paul's commendation of these men, we're instructed, we're taught what it looks like to minister faithfully. That is, what it looks like to be equipped ministers, and what we should then strive for in our ministry of service in the body of Christ. Namely, proven concern for the interests of Christ. And as we'll see, life sacrifice for the work of Christ. So, our outline for our look at this passage is two models of equipped ministry. Straightforwardly, there's two models of equipped ministry, and those models are Timothy and Epaphroditus. And the first one is in verse 19, and that's Timothy, and he's a model of proven concern for the interests of Christ. Paul hopes to send Timothy to the Philippians sooner than later. And he says that hope is in the Lord. We see that in verse 24. As well, when he says, I trust in the Lord to do something that his hope, his trust, his plan making, it's not just a little tack on that he throws onto, you know, his plans to make him sound pious. It just demonstrates it for Paul that nothing happened that was outside the concern of his relationship with Jesus. He's making plans. He has intentions. And all of them are subject to Christ's lordship over his life, his providence, what would come to pass. The second half of verse 19 describes Paul's purpose in sending Timothy. Why does Paul want to send Timothy shortly? So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So there's something implied in this verse, and that is that the Philippians will be encouraged when Timothy gets there. But Paul's saying more than that, I'm sending him because I also want to be encouraged by this transaction. I want to be encouraged when Timothy comes back to me and tells me how you're doing. So he knew that they would be encouraged by Timothy, but he wanted to be encouraged by news of them. Based on what's put in his letter, perhaps, was the church rejecting false teachers? How were Iodia and Syntyche getting along? Paul wanted to know how they were doing, and so he's sending Timothy. Then we may ask, well, why Timothy? Okay, we know why you're going to send somebody. You want to be encouraged and learn about the Philippians, but why him? Well, verse 20 tells us that. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. Surprisingly, Paul says here that of all those in Rome that he could have sent, Timothy singularly shared Paul's heart. The term here for kindred spirit means of like soul, of like spirit spirit. And Paul further explains in this verse just what it is that Timothy shares with him that set him apart and made him the one to be sent. He says, again, second half of verse 20, one who would be genuinely concerned for the Philippians' welfare. To be of one mind, one spirit with Paul in this situation meant that he had genuine interest in the condition of the Philippian saints that he was genuinely concerned for their welfare. It meant that he would minister to the Philippians with all the heart that Paul himself would have if he were going. And evidently, Timothy stood out in that. He was singular in that heart. Verse 21 explains why it was that Timothy's the only one who could be sent, for they all seek their own interests they all seem to refer to a group of believers that should have shared genuine concern for the philippians but instead they were self-willed perhaps this is a reference to the group in verses 15 through 17 of chapter 1 those who preached christ from selfish ambition Similar language, they're preaching Christ with selfish motives. Here, they're, they, Paul can't trust that they would have concern over the Philippians, that they would put the Philippian interests above themselves. We don't know exactly who they are, but we know that they're characterized by self-centeredness. They're seeking their own interests. Verse 21b says, in contrast to the interests of Christ. So they're seeking instead of the interests of Christ, they're seeking their own interests, and here we see that interests of Christ is a phrase that denotes the well-being of the Philippian church and the work required to minister to her. That's the idea. So Paul then now uses shorthand, again, interests of Christ, to refer to his concern for the Philippians, his willingness to set aside self-interest and serve that church. So, in contrast to the selfish, Timothy seeks Christ's interest above his own. And here he's a model of the instruction that Paul had given just a bit earlier in this chapter, chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's what he says about Timothy. Timothy was like-minded with Paul and he stood out singularly in that he had the heart disposition to be genuinely concerned for the Philippian believers. And that would make him a suitable minister for Paul. It's sad to think that at that point in time, there were no other men in the church of Rome capable of this self-giving in ministry. And know carefully, Paul didn't say he had no one else who could preach as well as Timothy. He didn't say, I don't have anyone else who's as intensely gifted As Timothy, neither of those things are there. Related characteristics to the type of ministry service we may have in mind, that's not mentioned. It's his concern for the Philippian saints that set him apart. That was his unique qualification for this ministry. His love for the church. Love that would cause him to set aside concern for himself and his own interests and do the ministry that Paul had called him to. In verse 22, Paul gives proof of his assessment of Timothy. Paul gives proof of his assessment. He says, look, the fact that Timothy shared my concerns for the interests of the church and would be faithful was already known to the Philippians. Verse 22a, but you know of his proven worth. So he's telling them, he's not saying anything that they don't already know. They've actually seen it. Timothy was proven. The term here for proven worth means it's the result of something after testing, He had had an opportunity to be tested in ministry and he'd shown himself faithful. It's proven, and they knew it. Evidence from Acts 16 and 17 implies that Timothy was with Paul and Silas when the gospel first came to Macedonia. Evidently, he'd acquitted himself well in these early days of ministry and in the years since, and his reputation as a concerned, selfless minister was established. The second part of verse 22 tells us exactly what the Philippians had seen that Paul refers to. He says, you know of his proven word, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. This wonderfully intimate portrayal of Timothy's ministry alongside Paul. He served Paul as a child, serves a father. And the terminology here is actually the terminology of he was was a slave, a bondservant, for the purposes of the gospel. Which I think intentionally, draws our minds to chapter 2, verse 7, which says that Jesus Christ himself took on the form of a slave, a bondservant. And here Paul describes Timothy's service as that of a bondservant for the sake of the gospel. So therefore, Paul says, because he shares my concerns for you intimately, because he's seeking Christ's interests and not his own, because of his proven worth, therefore, verse 23, I hope to send him immediately as soon as, how I see, soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. So Paul restates his decision to send Timothy. He tells him why. He reminds him of the evidence. And then he says, here's my plans. It's not going to be immediate. I need to see how things are going to work out for me. I need Timothy still here with me for that. But eventually I'm going to send him and then I'll come myself. We shouldn't let Timothy's prominence in the New Testament, we need to be careful here, detract from the lessons that these verses have for us. Again, look, Timothy's office is not mentioned in these verses. His teaching, preaching gifts are not emphasized. No supernatural gifts are mentioned. His role in the Philippian church is not mentioned as it is when he writes to him when he's in Ephesus and he's to set things in order there. It's simply his concern for the believers in Philippi his heart for Christ's interests in that body of believers. That's what makes him a model servant. He's a model of proven equipped ministry because of his heart for Christ's church. Christ loves his church. Paul loves Christ's church. And he says, Timothy is like-minded with him in that love. And he's willing to set aside self-interest and serve his church. Now, we're gonna draw further conclusions from Timothy's ministry and application after we discuss Epaphroditus. But while we're here, I just wanna point out one thing. Timothy's selfless ministry of concern, this ministry that would enable him to go and learn of the Philippian condition and then bring that back to Paul because he genuinely wanted to know how they're doing and wanted to serve them, would take a six to 12-week journey. And he would make that six to 12-week journey to find out what you and I can find out from one another with a phone call. Or a few text messages, or by getting in our nice vehicles and driving to a meeting place and finding out how a brother or a sister are doing. Six to 12 weeks to find out how that church was doing because of his concern for them, because he cared deeply about the interests of Christ, which simply meant that he cared deeply about the well being of the saints in Philippi. Equipped ministers are concerned for the spiritual well-being of their brothers and sisters and will sacrifice to do them spiritual good. Having informed the Philippians of his plans to send Timothy and his hopes for his own visit, he now then moves on in verse 25 to describe more immediate plans for a member of their church. Verse 25, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger And minister to my need all we know of Epaphroditus is contained in these verses and a few verses near the end of the letter that's all we get chapter 4 verse 18 tells us that the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a gift to minister to his need evidently it was a financial gift or likely it was a financial gift And the fact that verse 25 tells us that Paul found it necessary to send him back implies that the Philippians intended for him to remain longer. They didn't intend for him to just be a courier to drop off the gift and return. The point, as we'll see, of his ministry was in fact to take this gift and this offering, but then maybe to attend to some of Paul's immediate needs. And so Paul says, it's necessary that I send him back, perhaps before they expected his ministry of service to be complete. So what we learn from these few verses about Epaphroditus is the Philippians sent one of their own, along with an offering to minister to Paul while he was in a Roman prison. And now Paul sending him back, and verses 26 through 30 tell us why, tell us the purposes for sending him back, and commend him as a second model of equipped ministry. Epaphroditus is a model of life sacrifice for the work of Christ. Paul refers to him with a series of titles that commend him and his works, so, from Paul's perspective, he's a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. And from the Philippians' perspective, he's a messenger and minister from them to Paul. So, not surprisingly, Paul uses this familial language. Epaphroditus was a spiritual sibling, he had a brother. He was one with Paul and with all Christians in that way. He was also a fellow worker and fellow soldier, and these can notice participation in ministry alongside Paul. He was not an idle spectator or a passerby. These terms mean he was in the arena. He was on the front lines with Paul. They commend his ministry highly. Messenger is the word for apostle. And here it's not used to refer to an an official messenger of Christ like the 11 or Matthias or Paul, but in its more generic sense, it's, it's a messenger. He was a messenger from the Philippians to Paul. The Philippian church sent him to Paul as a messenger on their behalf. And he was a messenger, but also a minister. And that word here referred to, it's more than just the word that we get deacon from that means serve. It it implies more religious service rendered. He was to render religious service. Basically, it means that them sending him and his bringing a gift and whatever he did to attend to Paul's ministry needs was a a sacrificial ministry of service. It was worship. It was a... uh, As we see in Philippians 4, their service to Paul was a fragrant aroma to God using religious service-type language. So Epaphroditus was to be received back then as one who had earned Paul's respect. He had faithfully carried out his ministry, and he's referred to with these terms to commend him to the Philippian church. But why is he being sent back? Well, the first part of verse 26 tells us. He was longing for you all. And was distressed. So Epaphroditus is portrayed here as longing for his Philippian brothers and sisters and distressed. So he had a strong desire to be with them, and that was paired with a troubled soul. We say, how troubled? How distressed? Well, this term is used to describe the great distress that our Lord experienced in the night that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is no minor agitation. He is deeply distressed moved and concerned and in anguish. So he's troubled in heart and he longs to be back home with the Philippians. So Paul's gonna send him. But why? Why troubled in heart? Why distressed? Why longing so earnestly for the Philippians? Second half of verse 26 tells us, because you had heard that he was sick. Because you had heard that he was sick. Epaphroditus had fallen ill sometime after leaving Philippi. The Philippians had heard about his condition, and now he's distressed about the potential that they would be distressed. He's concerned about the fact that they heard he's sick, and now they're going to be concerned. His heart was so knit to his church body, that the thought of them being concerned for him gave him agony. And then we see in verse 28 that this then gave concern to Paul. So Paul's sending Epaphroditus back because Epaphroditus is concerned about the concerns of the Philippian church. And when Epaphroditus shows up and he's well and commended, then his concerns will be alleviated when he sees the Philippians. And their concerns will be alleviated when they see Epaphroditus. And both of those things will alleviate Paul's concern for the Philippians church. We're not told when he became sick. It could have happened after he arrived in Rome, but it seems more likely that it occurred on the journey at such a long distance that it seems more likely that he would have been traveling with others, especially if he's carrying money for Paul. After he fell ill, someone from the group could have taken word back to Philippi, and then he could have continued, pressed on into Rome. However they found out, the text doesn't tell us. What's important is that they did, and that concerned Epaphroditus. They loved Epaphroditus, he knew they loved him, he knew they would be worried about him and that concerned him and made him wanna go back to minister to them. Verse 27 goes on and actually Paul confirms what the Philippians had heard was true and gives us a little bit of additional color. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. So they had heard he was ill and Paul says, yeah, he was. Maybe even more than you thought, he was so sick He almost died. He nearly lost his life. And look, we can imagine why it's important that Paul put these types of details in there. Can you imagine Epaphroditus going back with none of this in there? How was your ministry, Epaphroditus? Well, I got sick. I don't think Epaphroditus was the type that was going to praise himself. He was gonna say, "I. It went well. I risked my life for the gospel. Are you proud of me? Paul says that for him. Paul commends Epaphroditus. His sacrifice was such that he almost gave his life. Proverbs 27, two, let another praise you and not your own mouth. That's what's happening here. Paul is commending Epaphroditus back to his church and he's filling in the details so that they know just what happened. He makes sure they knew what happened and he's gonna make sure that they know the value of the service that was rendered and the faithfulness of the ministry that Epaphroditus carried out. We learn in verse 27 that the only thing that Paul credits with keeping Epaphroditus from death was God's mercy. God's mercy. God had compassion on Epaphroditus. And so he was made well. And Paul indicates that God's mercy was not simply shown in the fact that Epaphroditus was made well. It was also mercy to Paul. He says he showed mercy on, he had mercy on him. And verse 27, not on him only, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul obviously loved this fellow worker and fellow soldier. And so when Epaphroditus was spared by God's mercy, so was Paul. And that just shows the intimate relationship that Paul had and the importance of the personal ministry that Epaphroditus had carried out. In verse 28, Paul goes on and he's going to restate his plans, just like he did in the first section. Therefore, he says, I have sent him all the more eagerly. So he's going to send him, but he's sending him back with an intended outcome, and that's also in verse 28. So that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. So again, Paul's hope is that by sending Epaphroditus back, the Philippians church's concern would turn to joy, and then in turn, he would no longer have the same concern, at least in this particular issue, for the Philippian church. So for all these reasons, Paul's purpose is in sending him back. The gravity of his illness and Epaphroditus' concerns for them, Paul now says, you are to welcome him back. Verse 29, Welcome him back with joy. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy. Not only are they to rejoice, though they are, they're supposed to rejoice, Paul also commands them to give honor to Epaphroditus and to all who are like him. And he goes on to explain why in verse 30. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. They are to receive him in joy. They are to regard men like him with the highest esteem. Why? Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Epaphroditus put his life on the line for the work of Christ, and that is why he and all who are like him are to be highly esteemed in the church. Shown honor. The translation in our New American Standard that says what was deficient in your service I think sounds a little more critical than than it needs to. Paul's not making a biting remark about the Philippians. He's not criticizing them or rebuking them. It simply indicates that Epaphroditus risked his life to do something that the whole church couldn't do themselves. Remember, they sent him as a messenger and a minister. So he was there ministering to them, right, making up for what the Philippians couldn't do themselves. That's what it means when he says that their service is deficient. They weren't there personally ministering to Paul like Epaphroditus was. They couldn't. He was the one who discharged that ministry. And Paul says he risked his life for that. He risked his life for that. So when Paul says to regard Epaphroditus highly for this type of sacrifice, it it puts flesh on the teaching of Christ's words to his disciples about greatness and honor and Christ's own example. Remember Luke 24, there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. The one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? And then here comes the contrast in Christ's example. But I am among you as the one who serves. Epaphroditus exemplified true greatness in serving even unto death. We're told in chapter 2 just a little bit earlier that Christ took the form of a bondservant and became obedient to the point of death for the sake of others. And here Epaphroditus is held up as one who served at the risk of his own life for the sake of Of others. He risked his life for the work of Christ. Now it's instructive for us to consider what exactly he did that's called the work of Christ. What was this work of Christ that Epaphroditus nearly died for? Well, simply put, taking some money to Paul and staying to minister to his personal needs. It's noteworthy for its its plainness. And yet, according to Paul, when he refers to it as the work of Christ, it's just as much. The work of ministry as any other aspect of Paul's own ministry, whether that was evangelism, church planning, etc. And we find ourselves maybe quick to identify official ministry in the church, right? A title, leading a group, a Bible study, something that's public, publicly teaching or coordinating something. And sometimes we struggle to recognize the mundane and, and ascribe to it the work of Christ. But within the body of Christ, in our service to one another, is praying with a brother or sister at care group the work of Christ? Yeah. What about spiritually intentional conversation over coffee or on a Sunday morning? How about taking someone a meal, helping with chores, helping to bear a financial burden within the body of Christ? None of those things in and of themselves and especially outside are the mission of the church, but are those the work of Christ within the body? Yes. Paul says as much here. Epaphroditus is commended as a worker for Christ and one who gave his life up in a Christ-like way by carrying money to Paul and seeking to minister to his very tangible needs. Epaphroditus was not likely the leader of the Philippian church. He was a minister sent by those leaders. He's never again mentioned in the New Testament. He didn't have a public ministry of writing. Paul didn't send him to churches to extend pastoral oversight in the same way that he did Timothy. And yet, He's referred to here as a fellow soldier, a fellow worker. And he says that the task for which his life was risked was the work of Christ. And he tells everyone in the church to hold that man in high regard and hold others who are like him in high regard. Men and women in this church who carry out that type of ministry faithfully, we are to follow Epaphroditus' example and Paul's instruction, both in serving in those ways and in honoring those and esteeming highly those who serve like Epaphroditus. So in Rick's lessons for us from Ephesians, we're being taught that we're to be a church full of ministers and servants equipped by the pastor teachers Christ has given to the church. And so we do right to ask, well, what does that look like? And Pastor Rick talked about that a little bit Last week, what does it look like for me to be a minister, a faithful servant in the MRBC body? I hope by hearing Paul's commendation of Paul and Epaphroditus that we're instructed in what characterizes equipped ministry. What should it look like? And what should we strive for in our service to Christ's body? We see that equipped ministry is marked by concern for the interests of Christ. we said this already. It's, It's interesting to see just the overlapping the, the knots that are tied of concern and spiritual concern and emotional energy expended for the relationships in this passage. Paul has concern for the Philippian church and Timothy's commendation is based on the fact that he shares that concern for the Philippian church. He's willing to set aside himself because of those concerns. Epaphroditus, we've already talked about. He has concerns over the Philippians' concerns and then Paul's concerned about both of them. The emotions of these men were tied to the well-being of the church. They were concerned about the well-being of the church. So we ask, we seek to be equipped in ministry. Are we concerned for and seeking to be deliberate in doing spiritual good to others? These men took action. Equipped ministry is also marked by sacrifice for the work of Christ. Epaphroditus risked his life to take money to Paul and to meet some tangible needs. Often we want lists to sign up on. We need formal, officially recognized service. And there are certainly those opportunities in this church. If you want to serve in nursery or children's church, others, you can talk to me. I'm not disparaging lists and organization, right? But each Sunday, we are surrounded by a few hundred ministry opportunities in the type of ministry that Paul commends. Just care for one another. Spiritual concern and care. Are you willing to sacrifice for one another? To do spiritual good to one another, like Epaphroditus did. Again, his ministry was carrying money and meeting needs. That's what he focused on. Quick ministry is also marked by emulation of the, of, of the faithful, emulation of those who are faithfully doing what Paul has said. You emulate Timothy and Epaphroditus when you serve others in this body in the same attitude. And with the same attitude that they did, with unity of mind in the cause of the gospel, with Christ-like selflessness and service for the sake of the saints. Have you identified people in this body that serve in this way that you want to be like? And are you serving in such a way that others can look at you and follow your example as we are to look at these men? Paul gives us Timothy and Epaphroditus and tells us that these are the characteristics of faithful ministry that we're to highly regard. This is what we're being equipped to carry out in the life of the church and for the building up of the body of Christ until we look like Jesus. He commends these two men because they looked like Jesus in their service, and we're being equipped to serve like him until we all look like him, and we know that day will come when the Lord ultimately returns. One of our elders, Steve Schulte, is going to make his way up to close our service in prayer. I encourage you, as you go from here, to consider, consider your ministry as a, as a faithful minister in this body. And think of all the ways that we as a church can carry out ministry that looks like these men looked and bless one another in the ways that these men blessed the church at Philippi.